So as we do open up God's Word this morning, we are starting a new series, and we are going to be studying the life of Joseph. And, and this is there's a few different Josephs in Scripture. Um, there's, the, of course, probably the one we first probably think about is the father of Jesus, Joseph. This is not the Joseph we're looking at. We are looking at the Joseph of the Old Testament. We find his story at the end of Genesis. Um, and so we are going to be, um, again, camping in Genesis 37 today. Um, but before we get that, I just want to, again, kind of lay out the story of, of who Joseph is and where, where he lands in the, the Old Testament narrative. And as we look at that, uh, like I said, he's at the end of Genesis. This is after, obviously, creation and Adam and Eve. And, and they go through, right? We get, then we get to Noah and, and all that. Then his family kind of repopulates the earth. And we have the, the Tower of Babel and the scattering of nations and the languages and kind of all these things. And then, then we end up, right, where, um, where we are with Abraham. Okay, and Abraham is where God um, sets up his first covenant, right, with Abraham. And this, this covenant of, of, you know, of a chosen people and anointing them and how he makes Abraham into the father of many nations, right, and all this. And, and we, we have this Old Testament phrase, this one that is established in the Old Testament in these, these later chapters of Genesis that we see kind of come back up throughout the rest of Scripture. It's this, this phrase, that it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and this is, again, Yahweh, right? The, the, the God of, of the Hebrew Scriptures. And uh, we see that this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and as we see that, then, um, I mean, obviously the story continued. I mean, these were three men, right? They were their parent, dads and sons. And again, the, the, it was passed down through their line. And then, so then we get down to Jacob is the last one, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and then Jacob has two twin boys. Or actually, Jacob is the two twin boys, Jacob and Esau, right? And we, we have that story, right? Jacob is one of the twins, of Jacob and Esau. And then, then there's the, but God continues the line through Jacob. And then Jacob, um, as we enter into his life, is that he ends up um, being the father of 12 sons. And these 12 sons end up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. And now, as we see these 12 sons, right, of Jacob, um, Joseph is number 11 in these 12 sons. And again, we, as, as we're going through this parenting class on Wednesday night, um, and you know, they, right, there's, we, we realize and know, and a part of that, right, that all of our kids are different. They all kind of you know, they have different personalities, they see the world different, God makes them, and again, there's like birth order and kind of all these kind of things that go into all of this, right? And yet here, imagine here, here's Joseph, is he's, he's number 11 of, of 12 brothers, but these brothers are not, they're, they're actually half-brothers. They they're, they're all have the same dad, Jacob is their dad, but there is actually four different moms involved in these 12, 12 sons, and and so when you think about, again, we know sibling rivalry, right? And we know all that kind of things that happen and, and those dynamics happen, especially in a large family. And yet now imagine, again, this is a blended family, right? I mean, this is, again, Old Testament blended, right? Where it's one dad and three, four different moms. And so we end up with these, these 12 um, different boys that are born from four different moms. And the moms are Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, and Rachel. Right? And so as, as we see, these are the four moms. And, and, and so now as we step into the life of, um, of Joseph and, and the story of this family and all these interesting dynamics, I, I'll just say is that the interesting thing as we read this story is, 
um, we, we see all these different dynamics and these family things and all this stuff going on. And, and I will say, especially as we look at today in this first phase of Joseph's life, as, this, as we were introduced to him as a teenager in Genesis 37, is that the reality is that what we read today in our text is actually an example of what not to do. And as we know that, right, there's, we see those examples in our world all the time, don't we? Like, like, definitely do not do that because it does not turn out well. And as we enter into the life of Joseph, as we see again today, as you'll see in the stories or read the text, is there, there's a, a list of things that you shouldn't do with your family. Now, with that said, is yet this is, though, in the midst of, of this, this interesting family dynamics and a loss of things we shouldn't do, there there's still God's with them. And in the midst of that, is we see this, this kind of, this overall concept that I want to introduce to us today before we jump into the story in the text. And, and this comes from this familiar verse in Romans 8, 28. Where it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Again, there's a lot of stuff you know, we're going to see in the story today that just, just aren't good. It's not, I mean, it's not godly. It's, it's what not, not to do. And, and yet, to say, as we read this verse, right, we know that, that God is still at work. I mean, God, God is working through these broken people and this broken family. And, and God has a bigger plan. And, and as we see that, we know that God is working it all together. Now, to say, just as we read this verse, this verse, like I said, a popular verse, one that we could throw out. And, and yet, it, there's an important distinction, even when we think about this concept in Romans 8.28, is there is a big difference between God causing things and God using things. Okay, there's, there's a very distinct line there. Right, God causing things and God using things. There are so many things in our broken world that God can use, but they, we sometimes feel like God causes. And there's there's a definite difference there. And I think to say that we see that in the story of Joseph and in this this broken family. Right, these are broken people with with stuff that just that aren't aren't good, aren't godly, aren't you know not what God not God's will, but yet God can take the broken things and He can mold them and and transform them and, and use them for his good, even, even though they're terrible situations that are caused by brokenness and sin and, and, and those things. Again, this, I will say that this story, I think as we read it and you know that, um, again, God, God's hand is at work throughout Joseph's entire life story, but, but man, there's a lot of broken people and sin involved in this story. And it's what not to do. So, all right, enough premise. Let's jump into the story. Okay, if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open with me to Genesis 37. If you're with us in person and don't have your own Bible with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats. So you're welcome to use. You'll notice the page number there uh, or you can find this story. If you're with us online, we're great, glad to have you with us. Again, you can follow along in your Bible too or just listen as I read it. But we're going to uh, jump in here to the story um, of, of Joseph, right, his family, this kind of first phase of his life in Genesis 37. Um, and, and, and as we start into this story, I'll just say is, again, we're going to look at the entire chapter today. It's kind of the first phase of his life. Um, but as we do that, just be, be watching, right, for the, the character traits of all these different people in the story. That's what we're going to focus on today. But So we're going to start here with just the first four verses. Um, Genesis 37, starting at verse 1. He says, So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, 
where his father had lived as a foreigner. And this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. Again, I want to pause right there as we get this kind of intro into uh, Jacob and his family. And we see that, uh, as we say, right, there's all kinds of interesting dynamics going on here. Uh, one, right, there's the natural kind of half-brothers and, you know, and who's, who's mom and dad's favorite and kind of this, this whole deal going on here, right? The text tells us it was very obvious. And again, it was obvious to the kids that Jacob had a favorite, right? And, and his favorite was Joseph. Now, again, this is not a real healthy family dynamic, right? We can already see that, that one, that, again, Joseph played well as the, you know, the younger brother. I mean, he was tattling on his older brothers all the time, right? I mean, he was setting himself up, right, to, to have a pretty rough life within his family and, and with his siblings. Um, but then we see again that, that Jacob didn't make this any better. In fact, Jacob actually made it worse, right? Because what did Jacob do? He, he not only just treated Joseph different, but he literally gave him a special gift that labeled him as the favorite, right? And again, this is kind of the fam- uh, one of those more famous parts about Joseph's story, that the coat of many colors, right? Again, in NLT, it just says a robe. But uh, again, when we, we see that, right? They, I mean, he literally like now is wearing this, this trophy, right, as he goes around and reminding everybody all the time that I'm dad's favorite. And and as we see this playing out, that's where we start when we look at, again, these different character traits in the story. And and we can go back and look at Jacob's life and see all kinds of of flaws and and things, the way that God had had used Jacob amidst his fallen condition. And, And again, there's a lot, but Again, in the life of Jacob, but we see here that that uh, just a, a picture of Jacob's character, and and as we look at that, we realize that Jacob really fills the role of the not so great father. And we know, understand, right? There's all these interesting dynamics playing out, and and like I said, Jacob he honestly makes it worse, right? He's the not so great father, and and as as we look at this 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 character within him of of as we look all through scripture, is, is that God cares more about our character, he cares more about our heart than he actually does about our actions. And, and when we see these, these character traits play out, not just in Jacob, but the other you know, people in the story, we, we see that, again, this was an example of what not to do. I, I think Jacob does exactly the opposite of what we just studied in Colossians, right? When we were there last week in Colossians 3, because Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children, for they will become discouraged. Guess what Jacob did? He definitely aggravated his kids, right? And they became discouraged. I mean, they were already pretty discouraged. And then he gives out this special gift to Joseph. And, and, and what does it say? I mean, the text tells us, he's like, it just, it just threw fuel on the fire. Right? And they, they were all discouraged. And they, and they hated Joseph even more. Again, Jacob shows us, right, what he was living into this role of the not-so-great father pretty well, wasn't he? Now, let's, let's continue on in the story. We're going to uh, read 
uh, again, the, just the, the main part of the story. So um, listen on as we continue on here and pick up verse 5. He says, so one night Joseph had a dream, and, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Now, I'll just pause here to say, is like, I wonder where their hate was originally because it just keeps getting more, doesn't it? Right? Like, he's like, they hate him more, more. Like, anyways, just an interesting observation. Verse 9, he says, so then soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream. He said, the sun, the moon. And eleven stars bowed down before me. And this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. He says, what kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. Well, I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. We'll go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said, and then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. And when he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. He says, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him, they have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Now, this is where the story takes a turn. Verse 18, he says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in, in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness, and then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. And Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived at his brothers, uh, as arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe that he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. And it was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. I mean, he's our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. And I want to pause there. And as we see now, we we see the story plays out. I mean, you know, Joseph Joseph goes off on his his father's errands, right, to, to make a report. Now, we already know he's already been reporting on his brothers. And so this is, you know, not a good thing. Uh, again, jo- uh, Jacob continues to throw, you know, fuel on this fire, right? And then Joseph shows up wearing his, his coat of many colors. And, and then we see that the true character traits of the brothers actually come out, don't we? 
right, and actually see the character traits of the brothers, right, is they are a do whatever feels right and benefits me in the moment kind of people, right? They see Joseph coming, they see this opportunity, and, and they just say, we'll act now and we'll think through it later. I mean, no, sorry, that's exactly what they were doing. They just, they did something, they're like, okay, now we figure out the next step, right, whatever that would be. They like, hey, let's kill him. No, that's not a great idea. Let's just throw him in there. Okay, well, now that he's in there, what are we going to do? Well, we'll just let him die, right? Or, or, oh, hey, we can make profit off of him. I mean, he's our brother after all. We have the right to sell him, right? Right? And so, so, so they make, make some money, right? As they, they just, just act now and think later type of people. Right? And now when you see this character trait, and, and again, thinking about, again, what is God uh, transforming our hearts into? What character is he building us into? This, again, is, is an example of what not to do. Right? Because here, these brothers, they, just, they, they, they act on emotions, right? They act on anger. They act on opportunity. They act on selfish gain. They just kind of do whatever's in front of them in the moment that benefits them. Right? And we see, uh, again, in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, we, we see this concept introduced that it says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And again, this is one of, of several verses that tells us that we can't just follow our heart, right? Because our emotions lie to us. Right? And, and our, our, our human fallen sinful condition is naturally selfish, and it's naturally greedy, and it's naturally, you know, um, use everybody else to push myself forward. And you know, we all know that that's how our world works, isn't it? Because our world is fallen. And yet this is exactly what we see the brothers do, right? They're, they're in it for themselves. If he makes me mad, then he's my enemy, right? Even if he is my brother. And, and, and if, if, if he's going to you know, make my life worse, then I, then I just throw my anger out on him. Right? And I just do whatever. I just act now, and I'll figure it out later, right? But, but the, the true heart motivation is, is pushing myself forward. I don't have to care about anybody else. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just do whatever presents itself to exemplify myself. Okay, now as we see this, this story again, picks up and continues, and, and now that they've kind of realized this, but now we've already been introduced to Reuben. He's one of the, the, he's one of the older brothers, okay, pick, picking up at 29. He says, now sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. And when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. And then he went back to his brothers, and he lamented, The boy is gone. What will we do now? And then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood, and they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message, Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? And their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, This is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap, and he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. And his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. And then he would weep. We can see in, in this moment, right, we, again, Reuben's true colors come out. I mean, we already saw Reuben, and, and like, you know, he had his own selfish motivation, Right? And yet, but he went about it a little differently than the rest of the brothers, right? Is, is he, he had this plan, right? He, he had thought it out a little more. He wasn't just acting in the moment, right, of whatever was in front of him. Uh, uh, Reuben was more of a manipulate the situation to benefit myself kind of guy. And, and 
Truth be told, he probably learned it from his dad. Okay, Jacob was this kind of guy. And, and again, his you know, mode of doing life was, was use people to exemplify myself. Okay, I'm smart enough to figure it out, right? I can, I, I can manipulate people and move things around to, to exemplify myself. See, because we see in Reuben, he, he has this ruse, right? This, this playmate, and it's, it even comes out in the text that, that he, was, he was on the surface trying to protect his brother. Right, but, but that was not his motivation at all, was it? Right, what did he say, right? He, he kind of played into them. He's like, oh no, we, you know, let's not cover the crime, let's not kill him, let's just throw him in here, let's figure it out. But, but we see here, Reuben had his own plan, right? His plan was to, to, get, to, to take Joseph out, right? And to take his, his brother back to his dad. But, but again, what, it wasn't about Joseph at all, right? What, what was his motivation? Right, it was to, to, get it, to get at a higher place, a high respect for himself with his dad. It was still incredibly selfish. That he, he was using Joseph, and he was manipulating his brothers in order to exemplify himself. And to get himself at a good place with his dad. Now we see these, you know, again, Jacob, his brothers, Reuben, I mean, we see all of these these different people, but and we see again these examples of what not to do, and yet they were all in it for themselves in a lot of ways. And I'll tell you, as we think about these, these character traits, like I said, this is, this is the opposite of what God's trying to, to put in us, right? Of, of what Jesus exemplified. We see in, in Galatians 1:10, it says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And again, pleasing people is something that we, we kind of all can get sucked into really, really easily, isn't it? And again, you even look at, look at Reuben. I mean, all right, his motivation was pleasing his dad. I mean, he, he was absolutely a people pleaser, and, and again, his, his, his underlying motivation for pleasing people was to exemplify himself. But, and we, we all see this, right? And, and yet, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who, who, who has received Christ as my Savior, I've surrendered my heart to him and, and joined the journey of faith, as a follower of Jesus, then my, my goal in life is no longer about exemplifying myself, right? But it's about glorifying God. Right? And, and these, these character traits that we see play out that, that, that are happening in our world all the time, and we see all these things, these are still 100% true in our culture today. And, and yet, this is where we go, but yet it still always comes down to who are we really trying to win the approval of? Right? Is it other people? Is, is, it, is it to double myself? Or, or is it to glorify God? Right? Because a life of following Jesus means that I, I'm set apart, right? This world's not my home. Right? I, I, I'm a part of a different family now. And the family of God is about glorifying our king, right? Not about ourselves. Now we see, again, these characters, but now, again, this series, right, is honing in on Joseph. And, and as, as we see here, look at Joseph in the story. Um, what, what, where's Joseph at? I mean, I mean here we see Joseph um, as the naive servant. Hey, now, you know, he, again, he was he was serving his dad, he was serving his brothers, and so, but there's a lot that Joseph didn't know. I mean, the text already tells us that he was 17 at this point, right? And again, this was a guy who has big potential, but undeveloped 
character. Big potential, but undeveloped character. We, again, we, we see this in him. Obviously, God believed in him. I mean, God gave him the dreams. Right? God gave him a glimpse of like, what, his, what his life purpose was going to be, right? And, and kind of his role in God's plan. I mean, God was active in Joseph's life. I mean, and he's, in fact, he, he gave him the dreams. He showed him, you know, kind of the end result of what was going to happen. But, but yet, you know what, God is... is is a wise father. And God, again, gave, gave Joseph this glimpse, right? And, and, but yet, he, God also knew that his character could not handle that kind of power and position and, and all that, right? He said, to, to, he said, and that's exactly what the brother said, right? Like, you can't be our king. Are you crazy, Joseph? And, and now, like, they were right, right? He was not ready to be their king. In fact, we see that even the way that Joseph reacts to this, right? And, and what, what he does is because the way he, he handled this glimpse that God gave him was not good, was it? I mean, he literally fed the problem. Because again, as he looked at this, he had this undeveloped character. Now, now as, we, as we look at this idea, the same is true for us, is we as followers of Jesus, we commit to him, we receive him, we surrender, we start walking with him in faith, and then, then God starts developing our character. Right? And that's what the journey of faith is all about, is about us you know, being more and more like Christ, because Christ right, had a, a, a character that could handle the job of being Messiah. And yet we, we, our character has to be molded into that. And again, this, this concept we see as God looks at us, as he looked at Joseph, as he, as he looked at, at others in the, in the Old Testament and these figures he used, as he looked at even the New Testament characters, as he looks at us, right, we see this, this way that God looks at us. He says, God, the Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, God cares way more about your character than he does about the outward actions of your life. Now, he does care about the outward, outward actions of your life. Okay, but he starts with your heart. He starts with your character. And the other thing that we see in this verse is that God sees the potential in you. He doesn't see where you are right now. Right, and as we look at Joseph, right, is he looked at Joseph and he saw a really undeveloped character, in, 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 but he was God's servant. God, God knew he had huge potential, right? God knew that, that, that he could carry you know, and fulfill the role they needed him to do, but he wasn't ready yet. And God looked at his heart and says, but hey, Joseph, we have a lot of work to do. In fact, when we look at, at, at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, he says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of our opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I think especially when we look in these evil days, we know Right, that we are living in evil days, aren't we? Right, but again, we are called as followers of Jesus to live wisely, right, not as fools. And yet, when you look at Joseph and the way that he handled these dreams, and the way that he handled and interacted with his brothers, and all these things, was he he acted thoughtlessly, right? Because Joseph fed this situation, didn't he, with his actions? Now, again, I get, he was excited. He had this dream, right? He, he got this revelation from God. He was excited about the, his potential and about what was God to use him. But, then, but he still acted pretty thoughtlessly because what was the first thing he did after the first dream? He runs for his guess what you guys are going to do? 
That's a pretty act, thoughtless act. And even, again, then he has a second dream, right? And, and what does he do there, right? Is, is he not only runs to his brothers, then he runs to his dad, right? And, and, and runs to him and says, hey, dad, guess what? Now, again, were the, were the dreams wrong? Were they inaccurate? No, those were from God. I mean, that was a glimpse of where, but, but he added his next steps after that were, were very thought, thoughtless acts, right? I mean, he acted like a fool. And so as, I, as we read that and see, again, God gave him the dreams. I think that, that's very obvious, right? But, but again, did, but what did Joseph do next? Did Joseph seek God on what he was supposed to do with those dreams? And the text doesn't tell us, but it implies that he didn't. Right, and I think that's, that's the wise next step, right? Okay, God, you've shown me this. You see this potential in, in me or in the situation or in this whatever it is. Now what do you need me to do, Lord? Right, you give me this glimpse. Now what's the next step? Again, is God really my Lord? Is he really my king, right? Or, or at that point, I'm just like, oh, awesome, God. Thank you for that. Now I can take it over from here. And I'd say that's what most of us do, isn't it? Right? And, and again, did he ask God now what he was supposed to do with this revelation? Again, the, the text doesn't mention it, but we can infer right, that he doesn't based on what he does do and based on how everyone else reacts. All right, he gets this gun from God and he's just like, okay, that's all I need. I'm going a thousand miles an hour forward. Right? And it didn't turn out so good for Joseph, did it? <laughs> Again, Joe, he just blabbered it out, right, to everyone. And again, and then it implies that Joseph was shocked when everybody didn't respond favorably. Right? And then he seemed back like, wow, God, like, thanks for the dream, but this stinks. Right? And I think we can all probably identify with that situation too, can't we? And as we look at that, though, and let's, let's look at the responses, right, to God's work and revelation in your life, because the reality is, as a follower of Jesus, right, God, God is working on us. He's molding us. He's transforming us. He gives us glimpses. I mean, he gives us, you know, these different things, right, as he's transforming us, as we work our way through our faith journey, and, and as we're transforming God's spirit. But, but yet, let's, again, Joseph was shocked by the responses. I mean, first we see from his brothers, how did they respond, right? They responded with more hate. Right? In fact, the text says uh, multiple times right, that they hated him more than they already did. In every step, with every act that Joseph did, just people just hate, they hated him more. Right? Now again, that's, that, Joseph couldn't control their reaction, but Joseph was also, I mean, his own actions was kind of feeding that, though. Wasn't it, right? In his thoughtless acts. His, his brothers hated him even more. Now, again, in, in 1 Peter 4, 4, we, we see this, again, this, this warning, right, of, well, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Again, this, this concept is in a bigger, you know, bigger passage and, and talk in 1 Peter about as you live for Christ, it's going to create this divide in your life with the friends that don't. Right? And because they will respond differently to God's work in your life than, than, than you will. And, and again, it just, it just created this bigger wedge between him and his brothers. And, and I think, again, we've, we've all experienced that too, haven't we? And we see the first reaction, right, is, is that, that people hated him more. 
right? And, and when God starts working your life and you start changing your life, then again, the more holy your life gets, the more guilty everybody else feels if they don't change. All right, so again, are we shocked by it? The, the, the next reaction that we see here is, is of Jacob. And, and again, Jacob was, was conflicted. Right, we see after the second dream, right, Joseph goes to his dad and he says, Dad, this is his dream. And I notice again, his, his initial reaction was just like his sons, right? He was like, really, Joseph? Like, are you kidding me? I don't think me and your mom and your brothers are really going to bat down. Right? Like, that's crazy. You're crazy. I mean, I mean, he has this initial reaction, right, of like, no, you're crazy. But then notice the, the text tells us, he's like, but Jacob also wondered what they really meant. He's like, well, I don't, I mean, is that something I could do? Like, I mean, he was conflicted, right? He didn't know what to think. And again, obviously Jacob, I mean, he had his high, you know, feeling, this high vision of Joseph. I mean, he was, he was his favorite kid, right? He's like, yeah, he's going places. But he was conflicted. In fact, when we see God move, we, we see this, conflict, this conflicted response, I mean, all over the place. I mean, we see even in Acts, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, right, on, on the, the first disciples, and, and they started preaching Christ and building in the first church. When, when at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, we see the same conflicted response. They, it says that the people were, some, they, were, they stood there, they were amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Right? This, this is completely fabricated and fake. Right? Again, the reality is we as humans have no idea how to respond to God's work and God's presence. And when God does stuff that we don't understand, right, we're always conflicted. And the world is always conflicted. How do we respond to God? And yet, as, as we see how these responses, these responses are, 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 again, prevalent in our world today. Hey, but then again, how does Joseph respond? Hey, how did Joseph respond to this as it comes out? Well, the reality is this is a to-be-continued. Hey, because we don't really see how Joseph responds to all of this because the story doesn't tell us. Now, as we go, that's what this series is about. These next few weeks, we're going to go into these next phases of Joseph's life. We're going to see how he responds. Okay, and see how, how again, he, his character is built by God. And again, spoiler alert, that's what happens, right? Is, is God builds Joseph's character to be ready to handle what God needs him to do. Okay, we see, again, this next phase, right? This is, the, again, the teaser for next Sunday. Okay, Genesis 37, 36. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, and they, were, they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and, who was the king of Egypt. And Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. So, Again, next week we pick up with Joseph's life now in the house of Potiphar. Okay, so again, it's to be continued. We're going we're gonna to see how Joseph responds. But, but as we wrap this up this morning, I think as we see this, this intro to Joseph's life and all of these things not to do, right, the, 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 the concluding question is how will we respond to God's work? Right, we see all of these character traits. We see you know, the, these different responses. But how are we going to respond to God's work in our life and in our hearts and in our family and in our community and, and, and in all these different places of our life? Yeah, the, the awesome thing, right, is God doesn't just show up and then leave you there. I mean, God walks with you. Okay, and as a follower of Jesus, when, when you receive Christ as your Savior, 
and you accept him into your life, when you join the journey of faith, then you start walking with him every day, right? And this is an ongoing process that, of, of our faith growing and, and moving. And, and, and again, we learn in the midst of that. And in fact, scripture tells us how we should respond to the work of God in our lives. Okay, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, that's how we should respond. I mean, again, Jesus is the destination of our journey. He's our example to follow, right? We, we respond the way that Jesus responded. And then, again, he goes on to tell us how Jesus responded, right? He says, again, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So how are, should we respond? Get underline that phrase at the end of that. It says he humbled himself in obedience to God. That's how we should respond to God's work in our life. Okay, whether he gives us a glimpse of, of what he wants to do, right? And, and again, he, the thing about the glimpse and the thing about that, those stories it was that there was no timeline given to Joseph, was there? Again, we see that, like I said, we get all excited. God, God gives us a glimpse of, of what, what life is like with him, of where he's taking us, and we, we get all excited, and we're like, yeah, I want to be there right now. And God's like, hold on. Your character's not ready. There's a, there's a lot of things we got to go through before we get there, but I'm with you. Again, will we, be, will we humble ourselves in obedience to God? Will we trust his timing? Will we trust that the phases of growth? Will we trust the next step he's telling us to take and just take it? Or how will we respond to God's spirit? And as we face that question, I just want to give you, again, my final thought today, and that is this, that God loves you exactly as you are. Hey, he loves you exactly as you are but he also loves you enough to not leave you the same. Again, God will save you exactly where you are. You don't have to do anything to earn his love and his grace and his forgiveness. All you have to do is open your life and your heart to it and, and receive it. Okay, God loves you exactly the way you are, but God also loves you enough to not leave you there. And so God will mold your character right, as you move forward in your faith and in your life and and. And as he molds your character, how will you respond to God's presence? How will you respond to his spirit, to his leading? Will you be obedient and humble? Right? Or will we kind of fight back, right? And again, I don't know where your journey's at today, but I hope that wherever it is, that you will respond to God's spirit. Again, if you're here today and have never received him as your savior, you've never joined the journey of faith, then I'll tell you, that is your next step. Right? Will you humble yourself to that step? If you have received Christ your Savior, are you moving forward in your faith? What's the next step? Will you be obedient to that step? And I encourage you, whatever that is, to take that step. Lord God, thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. God, thank you for saving us wherever we are. God, that you accept us where we are. We don't have to do anything or change, God, to come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, that, that we can come to the Father through you. And God, I pray for anybody who's here with us in person or watching online, God, that doesn't know you as their Savior. I pray, God, that you will continue to, to pursue them, God, to show them who you are, that they will take that step of salvation, God, and pray and receive you as their Savior, to surrender to you. 
But God, I thank you, Lord, that not only do you love us exactly where we are, you save us where we are, but God, you don't leave us there. God, as we join the journey of faith, you are there to transform us, God, to change our heart and our mind, to be more like you every day. And I pray, God, that for those of us that do know you, God, that we will be growing in our faith, that we will take that next step forward. God, that we will respond to your spirit. God, help us this week to live out our faith, God, to show this world who you really are, whereby us growing and representing you well. Lord, as we go here this week, as we live our faith every day, Lord, help us to be your church and to shine your light in every area of this dark world. Lord, we love you. We praise you for saving us. We praise you for transforming us. Lord, and we praise you for being with us every step of the way. Guide us as we go this week, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.